Amen. Thank you, choir. I hear that one is from the Christmas music that will be presented in two weeks, December the 8th. I invite you all to return here for the, the Christmas cantata that will be presented with 15 orchestra members here on the platform and uh, featuring, I, I'm telling everybody it's featuring Morgan Swafford Parker. My wife is going to be joining the soprano section for one day only. Uh, it should be a a beautiful, uh, beautiful presentation. I, I'm so impressed with our choir in an interim time of transition, just how faithful they've been for Dr. Ayler, his leadership, for Lauren, and, and of course, Nathan Burbank's faithfulness uh, as well. Thank you guys so much, uh, the way they've stepped up in this interim time. You know, Aaron Duncan is, yeah, awesome. What to go, choir. I really would be remiss if I didn't mention the choir president to Dr. Sandy Morabito. Thank you for your leadership as well, Sandy. I know she loves that recognition. <laughs> She's shaking her head, don't say anything. Uh, we are going to continue and finish this sermon series in the Gospel of John after walking through verse by verse, word by word, this incredible book for one year. Today is the 52nd week in this series, and I, I can't wait to to get into Advent, but um, I really want us to, to finish strong today as we dive into these last 11 verses in this uh, fantastic gospel. I'm excited about next year. I can't even um, contain it. Aaron Duncan, having him here is going to be a game changer, his sweet family. Uh, just so proud of our search committee and the work that they did, the nominating committee. Uh, we're going to send Trey and Anna off as church planners next year. It's going to be an exciting time in the life of, of not only their family, but in our church family as well. And uh, we're going to have a sermon series in January and February on the mission and vision of our church and kind of what I'm, I'm, our staff is discerning the Lord is leading us into for 2020, kind of 2020 vision that fits really nicely, doesn't it, with the year of 2020. I know everybody in the world is doing a sermon series called 2020 Vision. We're going to be one of those churches that does that as well. But uh, invite you guys just to dream with me and to be excited about what the Lord's doing. You know, we prayed a, a couple weeks ago that Aaron Duncan's house would sell, you know, in Kentucky, and it did. Uh, the, the night that we prayed, they got an offer and was so pleased, but then we stopped praying and the offer fell through. So we, we prayed again uh, on Wednesday night that his house would sell, and guess what? It sold. Um, so the power of prayer, people, don't, uh, don't underestimate it. Uh, the Duncans are under contract on a house, and... Uh, off of Cloverland and kind of Nippers Corner area over here. So uh, again, just really excited about their family being here and what a game changer it's going to be for Woodmont Baptist Church. Every month during this series, I kind of looked at the text that I had chosen for the sermon for the four or five weeks that were in that month and kind of discerned a theme. We had different themes and we're finishing with this one, the resurrection and the life. Uh, we're calling this, this last section of John. But one thing we didn't really publicize is the whole series, I had called it, uh, based on John chapter 20, verse 31, I called it, that we may believe. That we may believe. John 20, 31, John tells us why he wrote this book. He gives us his purpose statement. He says, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. John's purpose for this book 
is our purpose for this series, that we would increase in our faith, that we would believe more fully that Jesus is the son of the living God, that he is the one Messiah sent to rescue us all, and that by believing that truth in our core, that we may experience the abundant life that he came to bring us as we're rooted in his precious name that Sarah Collier just prayed in a minute ago. So last week we started this, this epilogue to the Gospel of John, John chapter 21, the final chapter. Ed Fulcher asked, are you going to preach on John 22 next week? <laughs> we can't do that, but uh, we're going to finish the last 11 verses. And, and that reading was so beautiful. Uh, thank you, Dr. Ayler, from Ken Geyer's book. As we, we saw the, the narration of what happened in those first 14 verses in John 21, how the disciples had returned up north to Galilee after a Passover festival in Jerusalem that was unlike any other before or after. It was a time that changed not only Jerusalem, but the world when Jesus was betrayed, arrested, crucified, and then resurrected. And then they'd all gone home now. All the, the, the dust had settled from all that hubbub and they had gone back to Galilee and Peter couldn't sit still, so he goes fishing. They're, they're trying to figure out how are they gonna take this new movement of God based on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. How are they gonna take that movement into the world? And Peter says, I don't know, but I'm going fishing. So he gets in the boat and the, at least six other disciples go with him. And as Jim read, they they hear a stranger on the shore who says, cast your net on the other side, and they do, and of course they had this miraculous catch of fish again, just like they had experienced previously a year ago. And of John, as, as uh, Ken Geyer points out in verse seven here in, in, in chapter 21, it's John who realizes it, it is the Lord. That man on the shore is Jesus. He's come up from Jerusalem to Galilee to see us. And Peter, again, man of action, I love Peter just because he's so impulsive and he leaps before he looks often, kind of like I do. And he puts on his, his outer tunic, which has got to be terrible for swimming, right? And then he jumps overboard, but he wants to be presentable for Jesus. So he puts on his outer tunic, jumps over the side of the boat and begins to swim furiously towards the shore, going straight for Jesus. Why? Why does Peter do this? Is he just impulsive? Is that... Is that all it is? He has no impulse control? The, the key to understanding these final verses in John is to understand what Peter is thinking here. Peter has really become the leader of the disciples. One commentary I read that said that when Peter and John, when John gets to the tomb and, and John is faster, so he, he reaches the tomb first, he waits for Peter out of deference to Peter's authority as the leader of the disciples. When Jesus asked the, the group of the disciples a question, it's Peter who's the, the spokesperson who speaks on behalf of all the other disciples. Remember John 6, there's this watershed moment where Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. You gotta eat my flesh and, and drink my blood. And everybody says, gross, I'm not gonna do that. And so they, they, verse 66 says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? 
And who speaks up? Verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. It's Peter who utters what we call the great confession in Matthew chapter 16, verse 16. Jesus says, who do you say I am to the disciples? And Peter correctly answers, you are the Christ. How many of you remember the King James Version? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. In Mark chapter 14, verse 29, we see that Peter says to Jesus, even though all these bums fall away, I will never abandon you. I will always follow you. But when the heat was on, Peter melted. Remember in the garden when Jesus was arrested in John 18, Peter, again, man of action, he's like, we gotta do something. And he, he draws his sword that he's been carrying around just for such an occasion. And he says, let's do this. And he attacks the servant of the high priest and he cuts his ear off. What does Jesus say to him? Yeah, way to go, Peter. No, look at verse 11, John 18, verse 11. Jesus says to him, put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given to me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. Then skip to verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. That was John who went in with Jesus. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the, now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. They were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and a rooster crowed. You know, Luke chapter 22, verse 61 says that after these events transpired, Jesus was led out of the home of, of Caiaphas, the high priest, and he made eye contact with Peter. Verse 61 one of the most heartbreaking verses in all of scripture. It says, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Kent Hughes, I've been loving his commentary throughout this whole series. He puts it beautifully. Peter's master was brought out from the inner chamber and in the meeting of their eyes the following disciple and the eternally loving Lord was one of the most painful in history. Oh, the agony of that moment 
With the echoes of the rooster still ringing, Jesus' unblinking, guiltless, omniscient eyes looked into the heart of Peter. Peter went out and he wept bitterly, but his tears could not wash the image from his mind. He would never forget the awful thing he had done. Could he ever be what he had been again, a leader of the disciples? And again, way back in, in John 13, when Jesus had just arrived in the upper room with his disciples and he'd washed their feet, he'd ceremonially cleansed them from their sin and prepared them for what was about to transpire. And, and at that time, Peter says, Jesus tells him, I have to go away now. And Peter says, where are you going? I'd follow you anywhere, even unto death. I'll never turn away from you, Jesus. And Jesus says in, in John 13, 38, Will you lay down your life for me, Peter? Really? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you've denied me three times. But just like that, that fishing trip that we read about in the first part of John 21 last week, this was all part of the plan. God intended to use this situation with Peter to instruct the church in days future. Jesus was preparing his disciples to go into all the world with the gospel, the good news of God's rescue plan. And there's a lesson for us as well here today in this beautiful ending to John's gospel, if we're going to hear it and accept it as Jesus would have us to today. So let's stand in honor of God's word if you're able to today as I finish the reading of God's word from the Gospel of John, John chapter 21, verses 15 to 25. Hear now the word of the Lord. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who he had been reclining at the table close to him and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. You know, this epilogue, some scholars think, was written in order to dispel the rumor that the Apostle John would not die before Jesus returned. So John gives this clarification here. He didn't say that. He just said, if it's my will. And you have the outcome of Peter and John here. We see that John's calling is to bear witness to what Jesus did, to write these things down in the form that we have today of the Gospel of John. But for today's final lesson, I want to focus on Peter. I want to talk about what's going on with Peter. You know, a dripping wet, just as Jim read, exhausted, miserable, embarrassed, desperate Peter stands before Jesus on the shore. Maybe he bows, maybe he collapses before Jesus. And the, you know, the irony is that the other disciples were only 100 yards out, so they may have even beat Peter back to the shore. Peter thought he was gonna get there first, but they arrived about the same time probably, and what do they find? Jesus is cooking breakfast. Verse nine says he's got a fire going, he's got fish and bread over the fire, and, and John even tells us what kind of fire it was. It was a charcoal fire. You know, scientists tell us that the strongest sense that's tied to memory is smell. You can walk into your grandma's house after not being there for 10, 20 years, and as soon as that smell of grandma's house hits you, the memories of, of Thanksgiving's past, presence of, of times with family come flooding back to you, don't they? Well, I happen to have a small charcoal fire here today. Don't panic, we tested this on Wednesday, so you property and grounds people don't, uh, it shouldn't set off any alarms, I don't think. It didn't on Wednesday. If you guys start to, to get the vapors over here, y'all feel free to let me know. We can have somebody run it out here. But maybe today, as you smell this fire, maybe you will be reminded of memories where you've been around a fire. Maybe for some of you, you were camping this weekend. I know Trey and some of our young adults went camping. Maybe others of you will remember times with family around a campfire and your heart will be warmed. But Peter did not have warm memories when he smelled the charcoal fire. Peter had something very different come to mind when he smelled what I think, hopefully, you're about to smell, if I can get it going. Ron says it's matchlight, right? There we go. When Peter caught the smell of the charcoal fire, he was immediately reminded of his failure. He was immediately reminded, not of happy memories with family and friends, but instead was embarrassed. Well, I don't know, Ron, what happened to it? Maybe it's God's will that we don't light this today. <laughs> Linda Hunt said, this church has bad memories of fire. Those of you who can remember 1974, is that right, when the chapel burned? 
that'd be great. I think we're close. Thanks, Jim. He's handy, that Jim Ayler. Thank you. The last time that we know that Peter was around a charcoal fire was not that long ago. He was warming himself on a cold spring night where tensions were high. It was around that fire that Peter had lied, just a, a bald-faced lie, and said that he did not know Jesus, that he had no affiliation with this controversial rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth. He'd broken all of his, his bold promises. He had overpromised and underdelivered, telling Jesus, I will never fall away. And here he was completely denying that he knew him at all. He had come face to face with the reality of his own human weakness, with the limitations of his fallen flesh in which we all dwell. The sinful nature that continued to claim victory in his life over and over again. How many of you, don't raise your hands, can relate to that? It was the low point of, of Peter's entire life. He'd been found and called and redeemed by Christ, and, and now he had completely lied and disowned him. So this memory, I'm smelling it now. Y'all can't smell it probably yet. I got this. This will help. It'd probably help more if it was plugged in. There's an Instagram account called Worship Fails. It's hilarious. It, it, it reminds us that uh, we were singing the grace song and, and missed a verse. You know, it reminds us that we are weak and that we need. Thanks, Ron. Yeah. Ron's going to get this thing going. Yeah. We all need grace, don't we? Thank God for his grace. Peter, as he smells what I, is it going now? It looks like it's going. A little bit. Every time a wind comes along, it kind of blows it out. Like that? <laughs> yeah. That one's burning. That looks good. We got it now, Ron? Thank you, brother. Good. I'm going to put that on oscillate. Maybe here in a few minutes you'll get a, a waft of, of this and be thinking about what you think of when you're reminded of a charcoal fire. It takes a, a committee here to get this going. Yeah, we're great on Wednesday, it lit right up, I don't know, yeah. The lighter fluid, that's what we need. It's match light, it should be, yeah. I don't know. What does Jesus say? to his disciples. What does he say to Peter when Peter collapses before him? Does he say, Peter, you moron? <laughs> he didn't say that. Does he say, Peter, man, of all people, you let me down. That's not what he says. He smiles and he says, come, have some breakfast. He feeds his disciples 
He tells them to bring some of their catch as well and put it on the charcoal fire. And the disciples eat once again with their master and their Lord. It's a, a joyous glimpse of a banquet to come in which we will feast with our Lord in the house of Zion. But there's still some unfinished business. Obviously, Peter is a little awkward during this meal. So Jesus pulls him aside after breakfast is finished, and he says, hey, hey, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you really love me? After all that we've been through, after you trying to cut that guy's ear off in the garden, after you denying me three times just a week ago, do you now claim that you really love me? It was gut-wrenching for Peter, right? Jesus doesn't even use the name which he had given to Peter. Cephas, Petros in Greek, the rock on which Jesus said he would build his church. He calls him by his old name, Simon. Son of John, it's like Jesus is saying, do you remember who you used to be before I met you? Before I called you to be a fisher of men when you were just a Hebrew school dropout? Do you remember that? You were Simon, son of John. And the smoke of the fire in, in Peter's nostrils takes him right back to that night where everything went so wrong. How would Peter answer this question? Do you love me? He says, yes. Lord, you know that I love you. Thanks, Jim. <laughs> Jesus responds gently, okay, then feed my lambs. Serve me. Look out for the least of these, for the youngest in the flock, for the most vulnerable, for the marginalized. Take care of them. That could have been the end of the discussion. But in, in Judean culture at the time, it took a, a witness three times to bear testimony to something in order for it to be valid and lasting and true. So he asked him once again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter says again, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then tend my sheep. Take care of, of my flock, the good shepherd tells Peter. And then when Jesus asked him for a third time, do you love me, the text says here that Peter was grieved. The penetrating eyes of Jesus saw right through the, the facade that Peter was trying to put up. When, when Peter says here the third time, yes, Lord, look, you know everything. You know that I love you. It's almost like Peter's saying, Jesus, you, you know I'm doing my best. I want to love you. I really do, but I can't. I, I keep loving myself more than I love you. I've, I've failed you. I, I love my own life more than I love you. God, help me. That's why Peter denied Jesus in the first place, right? It was self-preservation over fidelity to his Lord and Master. 
And, and Jesus knows this. He knows everything. He knows that although Peter is a gifted leader, that he's weak. That he's, he indwells a fallen nature that continually wages war against him. He knows that Peter gets his priorities out of order. He gets his loves out of order, the things that he loves, just like I do, just like you do. And yet, Jesus loves Peter deeply. He is invested in him. He wants to use Peter in spite of his human fallen weakness. Peter is soon going to become the, the, the senior pastor of First Baptist Church Jerusalem. Just as Jim read, he's going to preach this amazing sermon and 3,000 people will be added to the number of believers. So when, Peter, when Jesus tells Peter a third time, feed my sheep, he's commissioning Peter once again as a pastor, as a shepherd over the flock of believers. Three denials around a charcoal fire, three confessions as to the love that Peter has, along with three commissionings from Jesus. Tend my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my, my flock, my lambs, my sheep. What's the lesson here for us? We've all failed Jesus. Our, our fallen nature has won in our lives over and over. That's just the reality. We've chosen our own lives and self-interest over the interest of the Savior. So imagine yourself standing before Jesus around the charcoal fire, reminding you of your brokenness, your need for grace, and Jesus asks you, do you love me? You know, our culture is very confused over what it is to love first and foremost. There's a multi-billion dollar advertising industry that is completely aimed at getting you and me to believe that what we ought to love most is a new car or a nice watch. Social media constantly tells me that what I am to love most is how I project myself and my beautiful family and our matching outfits at the sunset picture on the beach to the rest of the world. St. Augustine, back in the 300s, he was an early bishop leader in the church when the, there only was one Catholic church in the world. He realized that the key to, to human flourishing, to living the way that God intended for us to live in the abundant life, the key is rightly ordered loves. It's our loves that compel us along the path that we each follow. Augustine said, a, a body by its weight tends to move towards its proper place. My weight is my love. Wherever I am carried, my love carries me. Another way to say it is that we are what we love, or we become what we love. So becoming a right person means loving the right things in order of highest priority. Augustine said a good and just person is also a person who has rightly ordered his love so that he does not love what is wrong to love 
or fail to love what should be loved or love too much what should be loved less or love too little what should be loved more. So how does this work practically? Well, there's nothing wrong with, with loving your work. That's great. If you love your job, fantastic. But if you love your work more than your family, you've gotten your values out of order. You've gotten your loves out of order, and it probably will ruin your family. You've all seen people who've made a mess of their family because they love their work more. Maybe you love making money. There's nothing wrong. Money is neutral. It's not good or bad, okay? But if you love making money more than you love justice, then you will take advantage of your employees because your loves are disordered. And another word for love is, is worship. The direction of our affection is displayed in worship. We worship what we love, so we've disordered our worship. Gordon Dahl, he was a pastor in the 70s, he said, most Americans worship their work, work at their play, and play at their worship. That, that cuts me. Most Americans worship their work, work at their play, and play at their worship. As a result, he says, their meanings and values are distorted. Their relationships disintegrate faster than they can keep them in repair. Their lifestyles resemble a cast of characters in search of a plot. It's so true for our society today, isn't it? Loving God first and foremost, cherishing Christ above all is the key to living the abundant life. You may say, yeah, we've heard that before, preacher. We know God's supposed to come first. That's not rocket science. You're not really blowing our minds here today. But Christ is not compelling to me as the things of this world. How am I really supposed to love God first? How do we love the Lord with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, and with all of our strengths? Well, the key is to remember how God first loved us. As the choir just sang, what love is this? That he would take our place, that he would pay the debt that we owed from our own sins. When Jesus was in the home of a very religious Pharisee, a very proper religious Jewish man, a sinful woman came in and anointed him with oil, and the Pharisee was scandalized by this. And in John chapter seven, and Luke chapter seven, verse 47, Jesus explains to the Pharisee, are you, are you freaked out by this? He says, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. We have to realize what we've been forgiven in order to love greatly. For God so loved you and me that he sent his only son to rescue us from this fallen world and from the sins which we had wreaked in our own lives and made a mess and had sentenced ourselves to death. We now love him because he first loved us with this great love. 
Now we're free, we're able, we're empowered to love outwardly as he has loved us, to serve others on the margins of society, to care for the lambs and the least of these out of our love for God. It's only that kind of amazing love that can enable a Christian to keep Christ's commandments to abide in him and to remain loyal to him, even though, as we realize, as we get older, as John says here, we find out that a life of love is not always easy, nor is it comfortable. As John, Jesus told Peter, when you're older, people will take you where you don't want to go, and you will stretch out your hands. Peter, as we heard from Ken Geyer's book, was martyred, crucified, upside down because he was not worthy to die in the same manner that his Lord did. But his life was not wasted. What Peter did for Christ lasts for billions of years. Even his death served to, to feed God's sheep. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. God used Peter to start a movement that now contains over two billion souls worldwide and countless others who've gone before us. Do you love Jesus? Do you cherish him? Is he more precious to you than anything else? Can you joyfully claim today, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. What a foretaste of glory divine. I'm now an heir of salvation. I'm, I'm the purchase of God. I've been born of his spirit. I've been washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Let's pray. Lord God, your word is so rich. It nourishes us. It feeds our souls. It tells us that only by fully pledging our love to you can we then hope to live outwardly for others. God, I pray that you would enable us to get a sense of your grace today, that though we, like Peter, have put our own interest above your interest time and time again, you offer us amazing grace when we can't get the fire going, when we can't get the words right, God. You remind us that in our weakness, your strength is made perfect. Thank you, oh God, for sending your only son to take our place, to pay the debt that we could never have hoped to pay on our own, that now you've made us right with you now and forever as we are adopted into your family and as your Holy Spirit unites us into a family of faith. God, it's that grace that you have lavished on us that reveals your love for us. And now because you have loved us with this great love, we too can love others as we tend to the needs of the lambs that you have brought into our paths. I pray that we would learn to live a life of sacrificial love, though it may not be easy or comfortable. We know that 
a life that's lived showing the love of Christ is a life that will echo for billions of years, that will have lasting impact beyond this life into eternity. God, I pray that you would use Woodmont Baptist Church to be the kind of place that advances your kingdom on earth as it's done in heaven. And Lord, we love you. We pray all these things in the high and holy name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to have a time of response now. Uh, are you smelling the fire? Do you smell it? Okay, good. All right. Maybe you're reminded of your own sins. Maybe like Peter, you're keenly aware that you have failed the Lord, that you've let him down. And today, God offers you grace. Maybe you just need to receive that grace. Maybe you've been uh, not able to forgive yourself. Maybe today you need to show grace to yourself as God has shown you grace. Whatever it is that you need to do during this time, if you want to join Woodmont Baptist Church as a member and become part of our family of faith, we'd love to talk to you about what that looks like. If you need to accept Jesus Christ and his grace for the first time, there's no better time to do so than right now. Maybe you just want to pray with someone. Uh, I think Jan's out of town. I'm going to ask uh, Morgan if you'll come up here and Trey if you'll come up here as well. If you want to pray, Brad, it's back there. If you want to pray with somebody, they'll be here to pray with you. Maybe you're sick and you need prayers. I'm telling you, prayer does more than just gets a house sold. We prayed for Pastor Asha. His surgery went beautifully. Prayer is powerful. If you need prayer today, come forward and receive it. Whatever it is you need to do during this time, let's stand and sing, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine.